The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you living a wellness lifestyle? What could it do for you? Join us today on the Wellness Lounge a step further and see how our guests and direction can inspire you to self-empowerment through a wellness lifestyle. Now, here is the host of the Wellness Lounge a step further, Desiree Watson. Hello, hello again, and thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, as always, I'm so humbled by the fact that people are listening in from around the world. So uh, I'd like to just shout out to... Uh, the amazing listeners, because you do make this show. And um, i just like to say the show is about bringing uh, great uh, people to you uh, around the world because uh, they're actually uh, people that are doing amazing things, and they may live right next door to you, and you have no idea, but that's okay because we need to get connected to some of the guests who are taking it a step further. So um, stay tuned for a minute, and I'll introduce our wonderful guest, and I think you'll be excited about her as much as I am. So first, before we uh, uh, bring on uh, Donna Walker-Tune, we're going to just say hello to France, to Spain, to Germany, Japan, China, Canada, I can go on, and again, I'm so humbled that you all are tuning in. So um, we are Wellness Interactive, and our signature brand is the Wellness Lounge. We're located at 14 South Orange Avenue in South Orange, New Jersey, and uh, as you have heard me say before, the show itself, we're taking it a step further, or like we'd like to believe. We're taking it a step further. We're involved in um, social media as well. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Pinterest, and Instagram. I can go on and on. But uh, just stay connected to the many um, guests uh, on the show. And then if you're interested in popping in, coming our way uh, to the East Coast in New Jersey, you can always find us at 14 South Orange Avenue. So that said, I want to give you just a little information on our guest, uh, who I'm excited about. <laughs> so Donna Walker-Kuhn um, is building communities. Uh, just Well, she's building communities, as you will hear her speak about, right here in New Jersey, but she's traveled all around the world uh, representing an amazing platform. So um, let me just speak to you about who she is. She's an adjunct adjunct professor um, instructing marketing uh, of the arts at, at Brooklyn College, Columbia University, and New York University. However, her career actually began as an assistant corporation counselor for the state of New York while she danced pro- professionally on a part-time basis. Oh, I love people who use that left side and the right side of the brain. Beautiful. Crediting her law background, Juris Doctor from Howard University School of Law, 
in Washington, D.C., with her ability to carry innovative programs to successful outcomes. Uh, She's published her own book in the summer of 2005, Invitation to the Party, Building Bridges to Arts, Culture, and Community. It has since become a top-selling, invaluable resource for today's nonprofit arts marketeer, producers, and students. In 2009 and 2010, uh, Ms. Walker's International Communications Group was awarded grants from the theater sub-district council to implement projects to diversify Broadway using socially and technology-driven audience development initiatives. We'll hear more about that. Can't wait for that. The first American to speak at National Arts Councils in both Singapore and Australia. Ms. Walker-Kuhn was invited by the National Arts Council of Singapore to teach a week-long workshop and by the Australian Council on the Arts to do a three-city lecturing tour on the topic ethnic diversity for arts organizations. And I can go on and on and on, but we want to really kind of hear from her. (laughs) So welcome, welcome, Donna. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It is so exciting. I'm so honored. Uh, Oh, we are too. We are too. So we're going to just jump right in it because uh, uh, I, I just love the idea when people use both sides of their brain. I, I'm no scientist, but I understand, and we all get it, that, you know, there's the creative side, and then there's, you know, the science side. And just the mere fact that uh, you have a, uh, a Juris Doctorate degree and uh, was a dancer, and you're still in this beautiful creative platform. Tell us um, how, uh, as a, a young person, a younger person, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, middle school, high school, uh, uh, go as far back as you like, or college, when did you really uh, think and, and feel that whole connection to the arts or creativity? Were you always a dancer as a very young child? Well, um, it's, you know, it's so interesting because the, your, the framework we're talking about is wellness, and I really consider the work that I do that of healing. Yeah, uh, And so my goal, even when I was five, six, I was trying to figure out how can I help heal the world? You know, <laughs> I, I grew it. up yeah. in the 60s in Chicago, you know, amidst tremendous segregation. And mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out how, how, did, how do you change this? How do you fix this? Well, I didn't know. So at Good the same time that those thoughts were kind of going through my head, I remember my father took me to Dr. King's speech at Soldier's Field in Chicago. Wow. And this was so important to him. I didn't realize the importance, but I remember how important it was to him. And so hmm. at the same time, my mom took my sister and I to see Swan Lake, which was performed by the Bolshoi Ballet. I'm sure hmm. there were black, black people in the entire theater. It was the um, uh, Airy Carl Theater in Chicago. And... The mm-hmm. moment I saw the ballerina come on the stage, I said, that's me. That's what I want to do. <laughs> so I told my mom I want to be a ballerina. She said, oh. And that started a series of dance classes at the local Y. So wow. I, oh, my God, I love it. You know, because um, sometimes uh, we can forget how important our parents are, and we forget those little oh, things. Yeah. And I just love the story because you're – your parents uh, actually listened yeah. to you. You know, you knew what you yeah. wanted uh, once they um, uh, actually uh, pretty much engaged you with different platforms. You had a, a key to 
what you wanted to follow at that time. Were either one of your parents um, engaged with uh, dance or law or any of that? No. My dad worked in the post office and, and tinkered with electronics, and my mom was a school teacher and social worker, but my mom loved the arts. Uh-huh. She grew up in a very strict um, yes. uh, family yeah. that did not allow her to dance or express herself. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think she pretty much saw my sisters and I as the outlet, the vehicle for that. So she was our number one champion, always drove us to dance classes, and we ultimately joined the dance company and performed. But I also knew that at that time there were no dancers that I knew that were making a living as a performer. So that's when it became a hobby. Ah, right, right. It was a passion, but I knew that I wasn't going to choose a life of poverty. That just wasn't interesting. Wow. this attorney came to my class when we were, you know, one of those career development classes in high school. Mm-hmm. As soon as I heard him speak, I said, oh, that's, <laughs> that's another way I can start to heal the world, can use a legal profession for that, not knowing what that meant. But from that day on, I was about 12, my focus was getting into law school and mm-hmm. enjoying as much of dance as I could. So that's wow. what I did. So I did. So after finishing law school, you know, I moved to New York, uh, started prosecuting juveniles in family court, and I just felt there is something major missing here. <laughs> and fortunately, one of my colleagues said, well, you know, there's a performing arts organization across the street. Go over there and see what's up. And I did. Fortunately, this one-man show, the Thelma Hill Performing Arts Center, was, you know, just incredibly uh, organized, uh, incredibly creative, but very Mm -hmm. disorganized. So I saw my role as bringing structure to the conversation. And so I organized the files. I picked up the papers off the floor. I set up systems and ways that we could follow through on initiatives. All this on my lunch hour while I'm prosecuting juveniles. Wow. Love that. Oh, my gosh. Awesome. You know, um, the, uh, what I hear is that, um, you, when, when navigating your, your whole life experience to this point, you're really truly just listening to your heart. You're listening, you're being guided and you're actually (laughs) taking responsibility to take it a step further. So, you know, some of us get, um, we get, um, you know, sometimes we're afraid to take that next yes. step, or sometimes we, we're not listening to our inner peace, and sometimes we're not listening to our parents. And I do think that parents play a major role early on, you know, in our younger Absolutely. days. We, we don't quite get it, but as we get older, we're mm-hmm. so appreciative of what they've done for our lives. So um, the, the beautiful uh, thing that you walked across the street and you jump right in it, and how do you um, uh, speak to that type of empowerment for others? I mean, what are you feeling? You're just, are you feeling, I, I really, truly can't take this anymore, or you're just feeling like, you know what, this is me, I'm going to do it? I really felt like I had found my mission. I think everyone wow. has a mission in life, and it felt so much at home, even though there was absolutely nothing there in terms of structure in the, the, in the places that I work now. But I could see the seeds of how important it is to nurture the artist and to make sure there's an audience for the artist. Those two points were just really clear. Wow. Wow. And, and you know what's interesting? It's so beautiful because I, it sounds as though at that point you, you had all of that because you had the support of family early on. You know, yes. I, I always remember my mom um, 
taking me to these fabulous runway fashion shows because I was like oh. six feet tall and I was 12 years old. And so, right. like you, I said, oh, my God, this is so wonderful. It's beautiful. So I modeled for a while. But I also remember um, she and my dad, but especially her, having just tons of books in the house. And mm-hmm. I think it was mm-hmm. because she was nurturing her writing, but wanted us to be great writers. And so that does show up in our family. So I think um, uh, when I hear you speak and speak about the empowerment of just uh, grabbing hold of uh, what, it, what is creative about the process, no matter what you're doing in life, grabbing mm-hmm. hold of that, which brings me to um, the idea that you're nurturing communities, or, or uh, right now you're with the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, but you still continue to nurture communities with uh, arts and, and creativity. How does that, um, uh, for, for listeners around the world who are in communities, small communities, large communities, but it, mainly small, how does that work? How can you nurture a community just to get closer to the arts uh, platform that may be um, five miles away or it might be mm-hmm. right there. How can you continue that um, process of nurturing communities with the arts and some of the things that you're doing? I think it's really important to honor the communities and to assume Great. that there is a creative intelligence that was there long before you came. Wow. So our, our role is merely to pick up the thread and to guide them to whatever the, the entity or the organization or the production is, but to recognize that their lives are already fulfilled and great. Mm. So we're not fixing a problem. Nothing's broken. Excellent. We are enhancing and perhaps bringing some more glitter and sunshine. But Excellent. fundamentally, I think people make really smart cultural choices. I really honor that. And so when you start from that place, because intent is so important. So if that's your intent, when you come, then they don't feel as if um, you're being uh, authoritative or you're trying to uh, correct or cure something that's supposedly wrong with them. But, in fact, they want to celebrate with you. So I'd like to make things a parade. So (laughs) I come in with the show. You know, I try to bring infuse as much joy as I can in the conversation. I try to empower them with leadership Mm -hmm. so that I can say, because of you, we can make sure this show is a success. Because of you, we can connect to people's hearts. So it becomes this parade. And we mm-hmm. just gather people along the way, and it leads to the front door, mm-hmm. the theater of the. the and, of yeah, and, and and that's so that's that's quite amazing because it's it's also real. I love the fact that you mentioned uh, you're not going in to fix things. You're really working with the community because there there may be uh, uh, situations where, um, and and I, I think we often forget. There are situations where maybe perhaps there is not an arts program in a school or there's not a local theater, but it doesn't mean we fix it. We just help to engage uh, uh, the platform of art where you're bringing it and partnering with the community. Does that make sense? Is that absolutely, absolutely, absolutely? I remember when I was uh, touring with the Dance Theater of Harlem as the marketing director, and we were in Los Angeles. This was in the late '80s, mm-hmm. and we were um, in the Crenshaw uh, neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, which was notoriously very crime-ridden. And I right. remember going into some projects uh, to talk to some of the mothers about bringing their kids to see the show. And one mom looked at me and she said, 
I can't worry about a ballet performance. I'm trying to put food on the table. Wow. I I said, then how do you ever change this economic paradox? How do you ever step out of that? Perhaps wow. by exposing your children to this, to ballet, they can aspire to move out of this class. Yes. And elevate themselves. So everyone needs to be inspired. So let's make a way. Let's figure this out. Let's, uh, right. Because, you know, um, I, 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 this is so true what you mentioned because I was speaking with my daughter who, um, uh, she's out of, uh, she's at grad, grad school now in Columbia, but uh, she was, when she was an undergrad, she volunteered for, with this program and, um, it was teenage moms, uh, while she was in college. And so I said to her, well, geez, I'm flying out. Why don't we take, uh, you know, the teenage mom to, um, uh, you know, to, to the theater or, you know, to have lunch or dinner? And she says, no, they really don't want us to do that. And I said, why? She said, they don't want us to do that because of the fact that um, it's tough for them because they, they will go back to their same environment and uh, we would have exposed them to, I guess, something that they may not be able to afford. But mm-hmm. I love what you're speaking about. I, I like to think that I, I live that too, you know, exposing young minds to uh, something they don't have access to. So my point right. is, I didn't get that. <laughs> and I, I don't think you, you didn't get, you, you're not getting that either. You have to expose children. You have to expose young people, young parents. You expose them. Exactly. That's the exactly. key, right? Exactly. And you do whatever it takes to make that happen. Do it just like our parents did. You do exactly. whatever it takes to make that happen. So um, another example before um, we really jump into uh, the platform that uh, you're representing right now, just a, a, another question. There are uh, 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 beautiful uh, people that are doing amazing work uh, around the country, but locally as well, they have um, – some of the uh, communities are supporting um, through donations and so on, mm-hmm. supporting houses mm-hmm. that have young teen moms or or uh, families that uh, are uh, really struggling in a sense. So um, my question is, would the arts uh, uh, enlighten them in a sense where – um, right now, we support uh, whenever we can. Um, there's a house uh, over in East Orange, the Sierra House, and she has young moms. Do you see uh, young people with babies or that, that are nurturing young, young children, do you mm-hmm. see this being a way to bring them on as a group to um, really attend uh, some of these performing arts platforms? Or... Do you see a, a different direction for uh, creativity, bringing it to them or bringing them out to be exposed? Oh, I believe in both. I think that we have to put legs on the art uh, because mm. oftentimes what I find, people are not comfortable coming to your home. Uh-huh. They first need to meet you in a neutral place or come into my neighborhood. Then I'll come into yours. And so right. I, I don't assume that because I extended an invitation, you're going to come. You know, right. we're okay. going to develop a relationship mm-hmm. um, because there has to be trust. And then Excellent. I want yep. to figure out what do I, what can I bring to your community that will educate you about the art form and create access so that you will organically want to come and see more. 
Oh, so that's beautiful. I've been You're just so doing that kind of programming <laughs> for years, you know, where, whether it's a, a mini performance. We did it with Bring in the Noise, Bring in the Funk. I was um, the coordinator. Right. Of the Hold that for one second, Donna, because oh, oh, sure, I so. love that performance. I, I can't wait to hear more about it, but um, okay. we're going to have to break for a commercial. And we no are speaking with the fabulous Donna Walker-Kuhn, and she is enlightening our minds and empowering us on arts in the community, global, nationally, local. Stay tuned. We shall return in a moment. Thank you. Are you ready for a health, life, and empowerment show in one? Then be sure to listen every week for Living Well with Ann Beal. Anne takes her long-running TV show to the Internet Talk Radio Airwaves with guest experts and insight designed to help you live a healthy and successful life. By hearing from the experts and those who have found success, our goal is that you too will be motivated to do the same. Living Well with Ann Beal can be heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to take a fresh look at your life, but where do you start? Your world has thousands of possibilities that are waiting to be explored. Find out how you can discover your possibilities by tuning in to Fresh Start with Sue Williams Braun. Midlife is a turning point in your journey. It's a time to take off the blinders and find what has meaning for you. Our guests include experts and inspiring people who are making their middle years count and will inspire you to do the same. Fresh Start airs live Fridays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You're tuned in to the Wellness Lounge a step further with host Desiree Watson. To find out more about our programs, please visit our website at www.wellnessinteractive.com. That's wellnessinteractive.com. Now, back to the show. Thanks for joining us again, and we're speaking with Donna Walker-Kuhn, and she is empowering and enlightening us on arts and through the, I guess, community through art or art through communities, either or. But we were just (laughs) speaking about uh, this fabulous production that you worked on, Donna, Bring on the Funk, and... I'd love to hear more about that. I'm sure the listeners would as well. Certainly. Uh, Bring in the Noise and Bring in the Funk was written and developed by George Wolfe, and it was a real celebration of African-American culture from slavery to the 90s. And it was brilliantly performed by Savion Glover and a host of amazing tap dancers and musicians that told the story in a way that had never been done before. And so after we saw the success um, with it uh, locally and off-Broadway at the public theater, and then on-Broadway where we had hordes of African-Americans coming uh, to see the show, it was one of the first times in the history of Broadway that there was a steady stream of African-American ticket Mm. buyers, not giving free tickets, people who purchased their tickets. Exactly. And it was my job was to navigate all of that. And so the board of directors of the public theater said, you know, our audiences are having such an amazing experience. Let's take this on the road. And so that began a two-year tour of Noise Funk, and I was the national director of audience development. So that meant that of the 25 cities we toured to, I went to 
all of those cities three times each. Wow. And mm. it was to build community. The work is very laborious. This is nothing you can just take a pill and it's all ready. You know, mm-hmm. you have to do your research. You have to go in. You have to build relationships. You have to go back, follow up, design the programs, implement the programs, follow up. But it, when it comes from such a passion in your life, it's not this arduous task. It becomes your mission. And so right. I want to do it and, you know, I want to do it to the best of my ability. So with noise song, I would go into a city, let's say Detroit. And mm-hmm. I would go in six months before the performance date, and I find out who are the key tastemakers in the community, who are the people with the big mouth, who likes to be seen, who can make it happen. And mm-hmm. I gather them together, and I call them ambassadors for the production. And I tell them, uh-huh. you are responsible for the success of this show. So because of you, you're going to tell us where to go, what groups to bring, what churches to partner with. And then I have a menu of activities that the cast will do. So there's a give and take. So the cast does book a drumming workshops. We do storytelling mm-hmm. through reading the scripts. We have study guides. You know, mm. we actually give the um, youth tap shoe to other kids so they can participate in the workshop. We oh, do boy. post-performance. We do meet and greets. We do things at Macy's. We were all over the place. Beautiful. Literally. Beautiful. And so because of that exchange, now we're giving content to the media. So now the media has things to write about. You know, how much do you write about the artists, how great they are? But you can talk about community. So the story nationally became how Noise Funk was engaging the communities in the smallest towns, in the largest cities, you know, how are we making this happen in a really interesting way. And so for the artists, they were incredibly motivated, you know, Mm -hmm. to want to participate. So that that template really worked. It works. And, it, and I continue to use it. I use it all the time. So let's talk about uh, how are you using it uh, at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center and in Newark and surrounding uh, communities. Sure. So, you know, I was invited to come to New Jersey Performing Arts Center by uh, John Schreiber, our, our president, after he had worked with me, or we had worked together, rather, at the Apollo Theater uh, mm-hmm. when I was associate producer on another George Seawolf musical called Harlem Song. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Harlem, you know, in the early 2000s, is nothing like it is now. Right. And there was a major concern that we would not have any audiences coming to the Apollo to see a Broadway-type musical. Mm-hmm. Like the question was, how do we get them there? And that was my job, was to, to make that happen, to develop the campaign through local uh, engagement, as well as reaching the Broadway community, who would not get that point come up to Harlem. It was not fashionable yet to mm-hmm. come and, so and do question, Harlem. So when you speak about local engagement, are mm-hmm. some of the, the um, uh, faith-based uh, uh, community involved, uh, uh, churches or? Yep. Hud- okay. Mm-hmm. Just yes, because I know that's a very large community, uh, but uh, would love to hear more about uh, how you you know, navigate it to your, and created a blueprint, really. Yes. Well, you know, my work, I love working with the faith-based community. One, they're organized. Two, they're honest. Three, there's integrity <laughs> and commitment. Oh. And so if we sit at the table and I'm meeting, and frankly, I don't meet often with the pastors and ministers. I meet with their wives. Oh. Because the wives, oh, the wives make it happen. <laughs> And the wives care about children and family. So mm-hmm. you always find the sweet spot. And family <laughs> is the sweet spot, usually for women. And so I, I meet with them and I'll say, here is an amazing opportunity that we're bringing to this community. What is the best way 
you know, how, who should we work with? They'll rattle off a list of 20, 30 people, because that's the top mm. of their heads. They know all these folks. And it's the, the minister of dance. It's their youth minister. It's Mrs. So-and-so. It's the senior citizen's place. So we start to get wow, that's brilliant. all these individuals <laughs> together under the leadership of the first wife, you know, the minister's wife. And so with her at the top leading this initiative, that gives it the, the authority, you know, so that people then pay attention to what I call. Because I'm right. a suggestion of, you know, the Reverend So-and-so, you know, visit. And so that's. That's uh, a template I use wherever I go. I always start with the faith-based community. That's kind of like the center. And yeah. then I move out. And just, um, oh, gosh, uh, what you just mentioned before, the honesty, you know, the commitment, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. all so real. And I think, um, you know, it's a myth that at times when um, we, we think we can, uh, as you mentioned before, just go into a community and, and set up. And not engage. Right. So you have created exactly. an amazing blueprint. I love it. Absolutely love it. So uh, the New Jersey Performing Arts Center, yes. you all have uh, what three or four hundred performances a year, or hundred? Yeah, we have approximately two hundred performances of all types in all genres. Um, you know, from classical to to jazz to dance to world music to gospel, R and B, comedy. Literally, family programming. We literally have it all. We call and it. see, that's what I think is so beautiful too, because it's very diverse, and that's who exactly. you are. You exactly. you bring such a very strong uh, diversity uh, to communities. Not sure if you uh, created any of the performances. Not created, but brought. If you're actually doing uh, bringing the performances in, but I love the idea that it's just so diverse. So how? Yes. Are you engaged with that? Are you at yes. the table <laughs> looking at what's coming, you know, the performances that are coming in? Because I think Absolutely. that's important for listeners as well, because if they want to build anything in their communities, it, yes. you really have to look at performances. You just uh, you, you can't wake up one day and decide you, you want to bring uh, – just exactly. all comedy in, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I, I always start with the art. And so I look at what's mm-hmm. on the menu. What do we have? Mm-hmm. And because it's so diverse, it allows me to speak to many different constituents in a variety of ways. Wow. And so six months ago, my department was created here at New Jersey Performing Arts Center. So I'm now vice president of community engagement. And this is unprecedented. There are mm. Oh, my goodness. Arts- That's excellent. I had no idea. Wonderful. Yeah, there are no other arts institutions of our size that right. have dedicated a department exclusively to focus on building community relations in a sustainable way that can oh. contribute to the bottom line. Mm. So, so we're beautiful. Excited. We're we're really excited. Yeah, it's, it's that's amazing. absolutely beautiful because oh my gosh, I if I can't even imagine if that existed all over the country. How, uh, exactly. I, and I you? think oh, so many people I would, would be I empowered. I'm probably just die and go to heaven. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. There's nothing else to do. <laughs> this is absolutely <laughs> awesome. So yeah. uh, tell us how it, uh, because we hear the passion sure. and you're doing such amazing work, but I know you feel uh, you're in a comfortable place. This is great because you continuously, you're doing the work, but then, I, when we read your your, I think you just mentioned you were were you in um, where were you Kansas uh, Nevada I was in Kansas, or? Kansas City 
Can- over the weekend. Kansas City, you were speaking, you, you spoke in Australia, you, uh, you know, you spoke yes. in Singapore. How does that um, really uh, resonate with uh, what you're doing now? I know it's, you're speaking, yeah. uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. about uh, the arts and creativity, but did you see in the future maybe perhaps um, curating uh, a platform uh, to help others uh, do what you're doing. Yes. That's why I teach at the university, because I have three missions in life. One of them is to raise the next generation of arts administrators of color. Yes. Mm-hmm. And who can significantly contribute to the vision and scope of the kinds of arts that are being presented. Mm. And so I teach at the graduate level so that these when these young Mavericks can go into these arts organizations. They're armed with that philosophy so that they're not going to forget. Wow. Because if you're not sitting at the table, you're mm-hmm. not in the conversation. You're just not. So you have to be there. So that's why I'm here in JPAC. I have placed myself in the conversation to make sure the diversity consistently is being honored. And NJPAC is known for that. We were built with that in our DNA. So what I'm doing is building upon that legacy to ensure that new audiences, young audiences, multicultural, you know, geographically, mm-hmm. um, you know, diverse audiences find this place as their playground, that they come here because it's a place that's welcoming and that they're telling my story. Like, I can see myself here. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? <laughs> you need a bridge. Everybody needs a bridge. Yeah. You make choices. It's so easy to stay home and just watch TV or whatever. So <laughs> what's the bridge? The yeah. bridge is there's hearts there. There's someone there who cares about me. There's someone there who came to my community and presented yeah. a panel discussion in my neighborhood about an issue that was important to me. So let me go see what they're doing. So we build bridges. We're constantly doing that. You know, this past, last month we did a panel in Montclair at the library there called Views from the Mountaintop. And it was, mm-hmm. about, it was a discussion about the relationship between Dan Taylor Carlum and Martin Luther King. Here mm. in, in Newark, we were at Essex County College a few weeks ago doing a panel with Chinese bamboo rappers examining wow. the evolution of hip-hop from Asia from Africa to Asia. Excellent. Hip-hop. Oh, my gosh. Excellent. So, and that was done in collaboration with the Hip Hop Institute at the college. And so we looked at what's trending. What mm-hmm. are people talking about? Where's the buzz? Where's the intersection? I, I don't assume anything. I don't assume that, yes, because it's an <laughs> African-American dance company, people are going to come running. They don't know what you're doing. They don't even know if they like dance. So I have to find that common denominator. I have to find that, that place where we can all play. And right, absolutely. I have a oh, great team that yeah. we can think of those things, and then we have the opportunity to go and make it happen and actually execute it. And things have to be done brilliantly. There's no such thing mm-hmm. as average. Right, average. Average. done with there average. Is no, no average. No average. No. <laughs> Absolutely <Brilliantly>. not. No. <laughs> well, you know, um, when uh, I read about National Arts Council in Singapore and Australia, I just mentioned that. Yes. It says uh, you, you spoke about ethnic diversity for the arts or organizations. Now, how does that look on a, from a global perspective? If you're in Singapore... Sure. And or you know, Australia, how does that look in their community? Uh, what you've 
basically created a blueprint uh, to engage with arts and communities. But how does that look globally for you uh, when you're speaking well, you to know, people in Singapore or Australia? Are you thinking about the same issues? or Absolutely. It's, it's one conversation. There's one conversation, certainly in the arts world, throughout the, the, the world that I know, mm-hmm. that is focused on how do we create diversity, either from an audience perspective or staff or programming. So wherever mm-hmm. I go, wherever I'm invited to speak, it's on that topic because it's a burning topic. Because it of the changing, the changing demographics of the world, you know, 20 years ago, Australia didn't have to worry about this. But they have huge immigration um, you know, d- d- uh, population coming from the Middle East and coming from Africa. So they're right. to figure okay. out That's how, how do we engage with, Yeah, what drives the conversation is movement. Mm-hmm. People are moving around the world. And That's so you so they're in your true. neighborhood. Oh. So these are your audiences. Yep. So how and so you have to figure out how to communicate with them. So the first thing I do is remove the fear because they're afraid because mm-hmm. they don't know them, mm-hmm. and they they've kind of bought into the hype because every <laughs> immigrant group comes with baggage that is right. imposed yeah. upon them, not yeah, their own, but it's imposed. They have uh, somehow perpetuated that message somehow. It, you know, it's going to be long term. It, exactly. It's going to be here forever. And. It's baggage and nothing that gets yeah. a lot of it, which is not true. We know that's not exactly. true. Exactly. So that's the first thing I have to do is just diffuse all of that mm-hmm. so we can see these are people just like you who want to have a great cultural experience. Now, let's sit down and figure out what that looks like. Mm-hmm. So Australia, I've been to actually twice uh, to, to lecture to cultural arts directors about, you know, how to, to build this initiative. And as a result, we created a program in New York called Bite the Big Apple. And so every year I host 12 arts administrators from Australia who come to New York for one week to visit various cultural institutions to examine how they are building diverse audiences. And so I take them all around to all the boroughs in New York and in JPAC to, mm. to have these conversations. So when they go back, they start to, to bring that thinking into mm-hmm. their cultural institutions. So that's how you have impact. And that's the kind of cross-cultural, international uh, dialogue that we have. So we're now in our eighth year of doing this. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Well, we are speaking with Donna Walker-Kuhn, and she is uh, definitely enlightening and empowering us on, oh, gosh, so much in our (laughs) the arts world and and in our communities uh, nationally and globally. We are going to break for commercial. And we shall mm-hmm. re- return to um, continue the conversation with Donna. It's wonderful. Thank you. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. 
Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You're tuned in to the Wellness Lounge a step further with host Desiree Watson. To find out more about our programs, please visit our website at www.wellnessinteractive.com. That's wellnessinteractive.com. Now, back to the show. Thanks for joining us again. We're speaking with Donna Walker Kuhn, and she is in a position to definitely give us honors to engage with her. I, I was teasing her. This is a lifetime achievement <laughs> right now, and hopefully she will open a school and she's empowering us to follow her for the rest of our lives. Because <laughs> I just think everything she's saying is just so beautiful, so real, but so needed within our communities. So, uh, Donna, we were just speaking uh, about uh, the global platforms that you've engaged with. Um, yes. I think also Russia and South Africa. Tell us more about um, uh, the blueprint that uh, you've engaged with, your blueprint, really, um, really? what you've done with them. Uh, well, I was, the the, uh, our our president, uh, Obama, has an initiative between uh, Russia and the United States to further and deepen cultural understanding. And so it's monitored by and run through the State Department. And so I was invited uh, three years ago uh, to go and lecture. Uh, I conducted 12 workshops throughout Moscow to various um, cultural directors on how to engage diversity there. And so, of course, they don't speak English, so I had a wonderful interpreter and a great host, and I brought my family because I wanted my, my daughter in particular to be exposed to this kind of culture and the, the beauty yes. of, you know, Russian history and art. But what I found that was really interesting, the footprint of communism was still prevalent, you know, particularly mm, in the older right. generation. So as I talked about what we can do, how we can use social media to communicate, how do we talk to different cultural organizations, how do you create partnerships, there was an undercurrent of fear, just like, well, maybe we yes. can't do that. I don't think we can do that. Almost as if they were looking over their shoulder, and I said, "Yes, you can." Twenty years, you know, this <laughs> and you should. Right? Go. Let's go. Let's move. Let's fly. Yes. Part of part of what I have to do is inspire people to to get right. out of themselves and follow the art. So, if you're looking at the art, that gives you the power to be the warrior that it requires. We have to be warriors when we are advocating for community. Yes. And so beautiful. that's when I said to all the different workshops that I taught and lectured and all the places that I went to. And so a year after, I was invited back to Sochi, right before the oh. Olympics, yeah, to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I found the Russians were incredibly warm and welcoming, uh, really, really wonderful. I had such a good time. And so there's a, a, a deep interest to figure this out. I'm happy that the conversations have begun. I know that change is 
not always not quick, right? So I'm I'm very encouraged that these are consistent conversations that are happening on a global level in different genres. It's not just dance, not just theater. It's across the board. And I believe that immigration, migration is driving that. And it's right. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's great. Yeah. You know, when I was in South Africa for the Dance Theater of Harlem, it was in uh, 1993. Nelson Mandela, President Nelson Mandela, had just been released. And Dance Theater of Harlem had been invited to integrate the Civic Theater, which was a major theater at that time in Johannesburg. What was so unique about that experience, certainly from a community building uh, perspective, is that I, of course, went in advance as a marketing director to set up the marketing initiatives and to see what is the landscape in which these 70 dancers are coming to. What are we going to be doing aside mm-hmm. from the performances at the theater for three weeks? So I walked into the planning session, the very first planning session. There were 12 white South African men and me. Mm. And this now is a few months after President Mandela had been released. So the landscape has changed. Apartheid is now moving away. And you can see the tension in their faces and not so welcoming. Who is this woman? Who is this black <laughs> woman? Because, you know, South Africa, you have all these different levels of Right, absolutely. I, I would be in the lowest of them because of my skin color. Mm-hmm. And so they're looking at me like, well, what are you here to do with us? And I said to myself, okay, now you've really gone too far. You're going to be lynched, and your family's going to have to come and get you. What, what is this? So I decided to speak to their hearts. I didn't look at their Yeah, and which is just so important. I talked yeah. to them speak about to their heart and, the yeah. impact that Dance of Harlem would have with the community and all of the different workshops and things that we wanted to do. So mm-hmm. that was one piece. The second piece was, after we had that first meeting, then we started to get some phone calls from the black. South African dance companies questioning mm-hmm. the, the country spending money to bring in a ballet company when there were dancers there locally who were not getting these local resources. And they wanted an answer. Who are these people? Why are you bringing them in? So right. that's when we decided to really make this a cultural exchange. And so I created 250 workshops that we did oh my goodness. Three, <laughs> over a three-week period. The dancers almost killed me over a three-week period where we were out in the townships conducting classes, not just dance. I did board development classes. We taught marketing. Beautiful. We taught orchestration. We taught everything we knew. Because of apartheid, South Africa had been cut off from any innovation. And so they were hungry for the knowledge that we had, and we shared it freely. We gave them everything we had. When we left, there was nothing left that we had not <laughs> given them. They had it all. Oh, I and love it. It was oh. such a rich and wonderful a Beautiful experience. story. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh, my goodness, Donna. Oh, yeah. I just, uh, I'm, I'm listening, and as I'm listening, I'm thinking and feeling, and I feel your passion in all of this. And I, I just, I'm looking at communities around the country, our country, and around the world. I'm going, oh, my gosh, they need you right now. <laughs> But we hey listen yeah. that blueprint um, I, I think uh, as you mentioned before about the young people that you're engaging with and, and teaching at grad school and you yeah. know this is this is real this is how it should work go into communities yes, as you mentioned and and basically have ambassadors to um, exactly. really execute your your blueprint because uh, it's awesome it's absolutely incredible love it love it. 
Tell us Thank about your you. book. You wrote this fabulous book. I did. I, I wrote that uh, book. Invitation uh, to the Party, uh, Building Bridges uh, to Arts, uh, Culture, and Community. So tell us about your book. I wrote and why did you write it? Yeah, I wrote the book because after I had concluded my national tour with Bringing the Noise, Bringing the Funk, I was literally inundated with calls from producers and presenters around the country <laughs> asking, how did you of do course. this? How did you get these young people in there? What is this? And I believe the information belongs to the universe. So it I have no problem mm-hmm. sharing. It's not, it's not like, oh, I can't tell anyone. That's right, so ridiculous. Right. That is absolutely ridiculous. So mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I'm just going to write it down, and then everybody can have it. Mm-hmm. And so I asked my boss, George Wolf. I said, I want to write a book, and I, um, I need some time. He said, well, I'll give you three weeks. I'm like, okay. So I wrote the book in three weeks. And it really? Was, <laughs> yeah, it poured out of me. It was the knowledge, It was information that was so prevalent in my DNA. All I had to do was sit at the computer, and my fingers just kept going. Yeah. You know, when I was studying for the bar, I got up at 4 a.m. and I just typed all day. And I just, it just came out literally. It was like, blah. I couldn't wait to get it. (laughs) Couldn't wait to share. Fortunately, the book had a really positive response because it's one of the things I learned in law school, everyone learns in law school, is how to organize, how to think logically. So the book gives Mm -hmm. you a very clear map on how you can take steps to build community. Mm-hmm. And so it's, 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 it was such a, a love experience. And I so yearn to do another one. I've learned so much since, you know, <laughs> well, 2005. I, I, nobody's given me three weeks. Because you were speaking earlier, it's also wellness. You know, arts is yes. part of our wellness blueprint. And so when you say you can't wait to do another one, that I think we should all listen to the passion that's coming from this because it, it I, I see that it makes you feel great as well. It does. It's, it brings a sense of purpose uh, that no matter what the obstacle, there's mm-hmm. something so much bigger that I have to continue. I have to forge ahead, and I have to bring my best game. I would never, ever, ever bring less than A-plus to the arts. Yes. Never, because the arts deserve that. They deserve that kind of support. And that started from when I was five years old and saw Swan Lake. So from that moment to this moment right now when we're speaking, I feel the same. Oh, and I'm fortunate I love that. that I found a, so a, a landscape to put that. I have a container, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, and it looks different, <laughs> and it changes, and it's fabulous. It's wonderful. So the feeling that I have is what I try to inspire in my students. Um, and that's why I made the commitment to teach, which I've been teaching since 1993. You know, And it's because I want to make sure that the security of our cultural landscape is ensured for the next century. So I'm focusing on the next 50 years, the next 100 mm-hmm. years. So the work that I'm doing now is, is planting those seeds to, to make sure that there is this kind of representation. So the conversation about diversity will be a, a minimal one. And it doesn't have yes, to be where absolutely. it is today. We'll still always need to look at people who are different from us and things that are different. But it doesn't have to be at this embryonic stage as it still is now. Right. So, so that's, <laughs> I that's love it. Focus. I love it. So uh, uh, tell us about um, how uh, the universe could actually find you all, you know, our global, yes. <laughs> our okay. global listeners well, out there. Um, uh, how can they engage with you uh, through social media, digital? Okay. What can they do to find you? And, of course, if they're visiting, 
the East Coast uh, out here in the great U.S. Um, how can they engage with New Jersey Performing Arts Center? Well, certainly with New Jersey Performing Arts Center, we would love for you to come. You can find us online. We have a great website, and it tells you all the different shows and events that we do, as well as a lot of the free events that my department programs that serves as these bridges to different communities. And so that's njpac.org. Just have a good time with that. Mm-hmm. Um, my name Donna Walker Kuhn. You know, I am on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm, uh, my, I'm on, um, you know, the, the email. Mm-hmm. So, so if, if, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. If, if they wanted to engage with you uh, mm-hmm. also directly on maybe possibly bringing you to their communities, um, right. should they contact you directly or? Sure, that would be fine. Center or? That would be fine. Oh, great. And they can, they could messenger, they can messenger me through uh, Facebook. Okay. And so um, when you're uh, uh, traveling or if, if the request is to have you come to uh, a city or, or maybe perhaps another country, um, are you available or open to uh, constructing or laying out workshops and doing all this, the, the same great work that you've done in the past? Are you still open, I am. and are you still doing that? Very much so. Very much so. I mean, that's what feeds my, my soul. I have to see what's happening in other places because it all impacts the work I do here at NJPAC. So, oh, yes, right. I'm very much, um, you know, available. And, of course, you know, I have to balance everything with my schedules. But I love to travel. I love to meet new people. And I like to make the art connect with the community. And that will happen until there's no breath left. That's who I, I am. I love that. I love but it. I so tell us about it. I the, your uh, wonderful it. support system. You spoke about your daughter and, you know, yes, your family. Your, this, your husband, this is a great support system you must have in place here. Tell us a little about that. Is your daughter engaged with the arts, or is this something she is, you think she I might go in another direction? Or? To be, um, when she was, so I was waiting with uh, holding my breath until she turned three, and then I enrolled her in Alvin Ailey because they have a fantastic program for children there. And of course, oh really? Company. And, and it, so it begins she, at three years old. Yes. Well, actually, they take them now at two, but at that time it was three, and wow. so we she went to Ailey for ten years, and then now she Excellent. goes to a fantastic program uh, dance school in Brooklyn called Ife Tayo. Uh, cultural center, and it's really rooted in African tradition, and I wanted her to have that, because I grew up in that, and I know the value of cultural identity, and mm-hmm. I think that's part of what's missing with a lot of our young people. They just don't know who we are. They don't understand our history, and so there's a sense of pride that's not there. It's more shame than pride. So right, you, absolutely. That she comes from kings and queens, and that we are the first people. I am very <laughs> clear about that. So I make sure she's in an environment where she's hearing it besides just from me. That's very empowering. Love in, in it. In a dance, and it's all dance. So she loves to dance. She told me the other day, Mommy, I love to dance. She's always moving <laughs> in the house. So she I'm earned like, it, hey, honestly. Check. <laughs> check. And then, then of course, she's uh, the whole uh, balance of, of all that while they're in school in the arts. Right. I know my kids love the arts. Oh, love mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. I'm very happy and proud uh, that they do, but there's a certain balance uh, with academics as well. That's right. It's almost amazing how 
um, you when you uh, speak to the arts within the family and, and the family is embracing it, the young people are embracing it, something really happens where they're able to ban- balance the academics as well. That's just my take on it because my, my girls uh, – you, they they know or, or they knew at the time. Yeah, you can engage with arts, but you still need to get the books. And they did Absolutely. very well in school. I think when it's missing, it's yes. Yeah, you know, it's not you become one sided. You know, there's just something missing. There's an ache in your life. You don't even know what the ache is. <laughs> so, right, right. And my mom lives with us. If there's an ache in your life, you don't know what the ache is. Now, that's a problem. <laughs> I absolutely love speaking with you. Ms. Donna Walker-Kuhn has uh, empowered and enlightened us on uh, community in the arts, but nationally, globally. Uh, It's just beautiful to have you, and I hope you return in the future because we can learn so much more from you. And, uh, again, uh, please uh, reach out uh, if you would like to have uh, Ms. Uh, Walker Kuhn come to your communities. So thank you, Donna. Thank you so much. Oh, I uh, so loved it myself. And okay. tune in to the Wellness Lounge a step further. We look forward to having you tune in next week again, okay, to um, listen to another great person that may be living right next door to you. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us this week for the Wellness Lounge. A step further, please tune in next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or our replay Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel for another great show featuring your host, Desiree Watson. We'll continue to show you how to incorporate a wellness lifestyle and live a better life.